Welcome to the LCAL a Low Carb Ancestral Living Podcast. I'm your host, Pim Johnson, and each week I'm bringing you new guests who will share their opinions and expertise on different topics related to health and well-being. Enjoy! Hi and welcome to LCAL Low Carb Ancestral Living with Pim Johnson. Today we are going to talk about emotions and you know that I like talking about emotions and it's not because I love my emotions because let's face it a lot of the time they're a pain in the ass but you know I'm always striving to improve things in my life and I honestly believe that if you don't have your emotions under control and know how to handle them or allow them to be there etc I won't really have control over anything in my life so Today I have someone who is a proper expert on this topic and he's going to talk about emotions in maybe a little bit of a different way that I usually talk about it. So I'm really looking forward to this. So welcome to the show, Ed. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Pim. I'm looking forward to it. Sweet. So I always talk about emotions like something that we have developed to either help keeping us alive or to reproduce. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to give you the floor. If you can expand on this topic, like talk a little bit about how they have served us in the past, why we have them, and kind of how this has changed over time. Well, it's interesting about emotions. In your introduction, you mentioned that emotions were a pain in the ass and that's the way they're perceived. Yeah. You also mentioned that sometimes you feel like you are under the control of your emotions, which is also an understandable and it's an understandable sensation that people have about their emotions. So let me see if I can put it in context for you and explain it to you. Wait. First of all, oh, okay. First of all, we're we're born with emotions. They are part of of who we are, and we've had them since we lived in caves. There are primary emotions, which are mad, sad, glad, fear, disgust, and surprised. And you can see those if you have kids or you've been around kids. You see them developing in young children as they get older. They're there, and we are they're hardwired. Now let me explain why we have them. When we lived in caves, we didn't have sharp teeth and we didn't have sharp claws, like other animals and other predators, but we did have our brain. And so we developed emotions to both alert us to and prepare us to deal with threats that existed in our environment. Now what you need to understand is back then all threats were survival based. The marauders from other Camps wanted to kill us. The animals wanted to kill us and eat us. So they were all survival-based. So our emotions then developed to prepare us quickly and unconsciously. So let's fast forward to today. Today, the process, the emotional process, is the same as it was when we lived in caves, which means we are constantly and unconsciously scanning our environments for threats. When we perceive a threat... The amygdala in our brain does two things. First of all, it puts us on alert so that we are focusing on the threat and it prepares our body to deal with the threat that we perceive. The challenge is that today, most of our threats are psychological and not survival-based. 
meaning the threats we face today aren't going to kill us. They may cause problems for us, but they're not going to kill us. So that's the process. We are constantly scanning our environment for threat. When we perceive a threat, our amygdala in the brain prepares us unconsciously to deal with that threat. Now the difference between us and our cave ancestors were, or is, that we have, a, have developed the thinking part of our brain, which is called the cerebral cortex. The cerebral cortex now allows us to look at and assess the nature of the threat. When we do that, we now have an option of choosing how we're going to deal with it. So, let me then review quickly the emotional process. We are constantly scanning our environments for threat. When we unconsciously perceive a threat, our body is unconsciously prepared to deal with that threat. And that, by the way, is what leads us to believe that our emotions control us. Because the emotional process happens very quickly, and it's outside of our control. As, by the way, you would want it to be if you were facing a real threat. Let's take a look at an example of fear. The emotion of fear, even though today it's misused, we say, I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid of that, but the emotion of fear itself tells us that we are facing a threat that will kill us. And so our body is prepared for fight or flight. If you are in fact facing a situation that is going to severely injure you, you don't want to have to think about it. All you want to have to do is listen to it and get out of the way. Yep. However, if you're facing an emotion such as anxiety, and I need to say here that every emotion communicates a different message. So if you understand what that message is, you now have the ability to look at the emotion and ask, how real is the threat that I'm facing? So, having said that now, you can take a look at anxiety. Anxiety is a future-based emotion, the message of which is, there may be a threat out there, and that threat may do me damage. So if you understand that, now you have the option of first being aware of your anxiety and being aware of how your body tells you that you're anxious and it's different for different people. For me, it's a churning in my stomach. So when I get that churning, I know that I'm anxious about something. For you, it may be some, a different message. Once you understand the message of the emotion, you're now in, the, in a position to say, how real is the threat, and what do I need to do about it? My students, when they get anxious about an exam coming up, they have a choice. They can either use that anxiety as what's called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, and then use the energy of that anxiety to motivate them to study, or what often happens on the other side of that coin is Anxiety is experienced as distress, D-I-S-T-R-E-S-S, -S, and they get they do nothing, or they procrastinate. The distress is, oh my goodness, I'm facing this exam. I may not do well in it. What happens? And they get off all they get what's called catastrophizing. So they go to the ultimate end point, the worst possible that can happen. They then act as if that worst possible outcome is the only outcome, and they procrastinate, they put it off, they studied at the very last minute, and it, it very rarely has a positive outcome. So again, if you understand that emotions are there to alert us to possible threat and prepare us to deal with that threat, then you now can see how you would arrive at the conclusion that your emotions are a pain in the ass, because in fact they are. They seem to happen to you. But in fact, 
they are the result of how you are perceiving your environment. That's the good news. The other, and this is one of the emotions missed, is that our emotions control us. They don't. They just initially seem or are experienced as controlling us because of the unconscious nature of the emotion. So if you understand that, you can move past it, and then you get to the point where you say, okay, wait a minute. My, all my emotions, all of them, and that's another myth, that there are some good emotions and some bad emotions. And let me explain where that comes from. Some emotions feel good, like happiness. Happiness, the message is, I'm facing something that I, I really like, that is good for me, so I'm going to get more involved with it. That feels good. An emotion like anger often is perceived as a bad emotion. It isn't because it motivates us to go to war with whatever it is that we're facing in terms of the threat. So anger then is perceived as as a bad emotion because of the actions, the behaviors that people exhibit when they excuse me, when they get angry. It isn't because there are times when you need your anger. The challenge with anger and there are two main challenges is that it tends to get misused especially by men. Men tend to misuse anger and they treat it as a what's called a secondary emotion because they use their anger, which is empowering and, and enables them to take action, to cover over feelings like hurt, anxiety, perhaps shame, and they use that to cover anger to cover that over. The challenge with women in anger is that women, according to display rules in our, our in Western culture, are looked down upon when they get angry. So men tell women, you can't get angry because I can't deal with an angry female, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you down, I'm going to demean you, I'm going to call you names, and so forth, because I as a man can't handle you as a woman getting angry. So what I say is, using an emotion, your emotions as tools, which they are, and let me explain that, all your emotions are simply tools. If you understand that, then that you don't feel like your emotions control you. It's simply a tool you need to learn how to use, like your cell phone, or your remote TV remote, or the smoke detector in your house. The smoke detector goes off. Maybe you're, it's the morning and you're making breakfast and your smoke detector goes off and you're trying to do whatever you're doing and multitasking. And you might think, oh, that darn smoke detector. No. The smoke detector is giving you information you need to have. So then you can assess that smoke detector. Is there a fire or is the toast burning? And you do the same thing with emotions. When you experience emotion, you need to ask yourself, what's the message of the emotion? How valid is that message? And what do I need to do about that or with that message? Do I need to take action because... The emotion is telling me there's a threat that I'm facing that I need to do something about? Or am I misunderstanding what's going on in this situation? If it's, if it's the latter, then you can say, I misunderstood, or you can ask for clarification, and you then can let the anger go. So, the whole point here is to understand that the unconscious nature, initial nature of emotions leads you to feel like they control you, but they don't. Sometimes emotions don't feel good, which leads us to want to say we need to get rid of them, and we don't. And we always have the ability to strategically deploy our emotions, meaning I can use the energy of that emotion 
to motivate me to take action on whatever it is that I'm facing, whether it's a future-based threat like anxiety or it's a present-based threat like anger. Your anger might be telling you that somebody is violating or impinging on your physical boundaries, your psychological boundaries, your goals, whatever it happens to be. So that's why we have emotions, to alert us to threat. What the emotions do, they alert us to threat and prepare us to deal with it. And we have the ability to strategically deploy them or use the energy that the emotions give us to deal with situations that we're facing. Does that put it into context for you? Yes, I think that was a lot of uh, more more information than I asked for, which is great because you you sorry just, no 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 it's it's awesome because you're just describing everything in a in a different way than I would, and I think this might be really helpful to people. So uh, I want to kind of dive into a couple of those emotions, if you don't mind. So the two Absolutely. that I see most in the clients that I'm coaching are either anxiety or distress because they are worrying about something that they <coughs> clearly is out of their control and that's going to happen in the future, but they can just, they, they go and catastrophize, basically. And the second mm-hmm. one is that <coughs> often we just don't want to go there and we don't want to change those emotions or deal with them so there is that resistance to Mm -hmm. actually doing it even when I'm teaching them how to do it so how do we do this how do we deal with these two specific ones what would you do because I know that you have a lot of experience working with I think people that would be very resistant to changing the way that they are thinking about things Yes, and those two emotions, or those the emotions of anxiety and the action of resisting what you're telling them, go together. And here's why, Pim. Most of us do not like a future that we can't absolutely predict and control. So what happens is we look in that future and we ask questions like, well, what if it doesn't go right? What if things go bad? What if things go south? What happens if the advice you give me doesn't work? And that gets into the catastrophizing. And it also is where the anxiety comes up. Because again, remember, the message of anxiety is there may be a threat out there and that threat may, emphasis on may, kill me. So, why would I want to go into a situation that I can't control and that might turn out to be really bad for me? Those are the questions that your clients are asking themselves. And those are the questions that you need to address. And here's how you do it. You first explain to them what their anxiety is. That it's simply a tool. It's simply a tool that's alerting them to a possible threat. And you can use the idea of a, again, of a smoke detector. Or of a warning light on their car. The check engine light goes on. (coughs) It's a warning light. Now, you can, and, and this is going to sound silly, but suppose I see the check engine light go on my car and I get angry at the check engine light because I don't want to pay the money to fix my car. I'm not near a mechanic, whatever it happens to be. Now you look at that and you say, well, come on, Ed, that's silly. Why would I get angry at a check engine light? Well, you wouldn't. 
But the same idea is why would you get angry at an emotion? It's just giving you information that you need to deal with. So once you understand that, then you go on to the next step, which is to say, let's take a look at what it might be behind your not wanting to implement what I'm suggesting to you. And what is that? It might it might not go wrong. I mean, it might not go right. Okay. The antidote to that is this. And this is what I, I used to tell the, the young women I was dealing with in the correctional institution before I retired. What if the worst possible outcome takes place? Whatever it is you think that might be, can you survive it? And if the answer to that is yes, not that I want to survive it, but I can survive it. If that's the case, then you no longer need to resist it or avoid it. Because after you accept that you can survive it, now it's no longer going to kill you, then the next question is, what do I need to do to avoid that outcome? What do I need to do to produce an outcome that I want to produce? And let's take go back to anxiety. The other face of anxiety is anticipation. Anticipation is a future-based emotion, the message of which, hey, you know, there's something good out there that can happen. And I'm really looking forward to that good outcome. That's anticipation. So now then, with your clients, you move from, I don't want to go there with you, Pim, to, oh, what can I do to make that happen? Now we're into planning. Now we're into looking at what do I need to do? What action steps do I need to take? And when I take those steps, it's more likely than not that the positive outcome that we've been talking about in our sessions, whatever it is, that that positive outcome is going to take place. And I want that positive outcome. I don't like where I am. I want to change that and I want to be where I want to go. And now let's take a look how I get from where I am to where I want to be. And those are action steps. That's awesome. And that's exactly what happens, but <laughs> I can't describe it as well as you do, like how, how it actually works. But I usually say, okay, what's, what's the worst case? What, what's the worst case? What, what can happen? And we kind of go there. And then they get over it, and then we can continue. <laughs> so thank you for explaining that. I think uh, I'm going to send this uh, interview to uh, all my clients that have this problem, because I think that might might actually help them just get over it quicker than the way that I've been working on it. So thank you for that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did a podcast with a, a, a counselor, oh, okay. a coach here in the U.S., and we and we talked about anger and, as an emotion. And she, what I explained to her in the same way, the message of anger is there's a threat that I'm facing that I believe I am stronger than so that I can eliminate it by throwing enough force at it. Once I explained that to her, she then was able to tell her clients, look, you're going to have anger and you don't want to have, you don't want to avoid your anger and you don't want to control your anger. So now her clients then were able to say, okay, I got this anger. What? How am I going to use it? So they no longer had to avoid it or try to get rid of it. And it's the same way with anxiety. Now that your clients understand what anxiety is, they can validate or accept that anxiety whenever it occurs in whatever form it occurs and can say to themselves, okay, I got it. It's, what, and it's telling me something. And now they can use it. So it frees them up 
to face their anger or their anxiety, whatever it is, and now you have a context in which they can understand what it is you're trying to tell them. Which is brilliant. That's how it all fits together. Yeah. So you would have thought that we're like highly developed beings and why is it that so many of us are just like flipping out when something happens, like someone cuts you off in traffic and that anger will just bubble up straight away and we feel like there's nothing I can do about it. How how come we can't control this? Okay. <laughs> well, we can't. Yeah. But again, it's the same thing. You need to recognize it. But here's why. we um, There was a psychologist here in the U.S. who talked about the tyranny of the shoulds. can't remember his name right now, but he talked about the tyranny of the shoulds. And what that is, is that we get in our minds the way things should be. And when they are not the way we believe they should be, we get upset because that's a threat. And it's a threat to our, our belief systems about the way the world should be ordered. And when you have, like, getting cut in, uh, cut off in traffic, and I, I get the same way when I get cut off in traffic. Yeah, My too. immediate <laughs> response is to get angry. Yeah, exactly. Now, the difference between you and me is we don't go into road rage. Many people do, by the way. Oh, yeah. So, if you understand that that's the, it, yeah, if that's the case, the reason that we get upset is because in our view of the world, people shouldn't be cutting me off in traffic and putting me in danger. People should be nice. People should follow the rules. People should. I could go on all day. And they're all shoulds. If you understand that, when somebody violates that rule that you've put in place, you now can say, okay, I understand that they are violating that rule. And they're wrong, by the way. There's no way you can justify being cut off. However, what you can do is you can say, well, wait a minute. What's going on here? Is this person a total idiot that should be eliminated from the earth? I'm exaggerating here. Or maybe something's going on with them that I just don't know about. Maybe they feel they need to get to the hospital because their wife's giving birth. I don't know. Whatever it happens to be. Now, it doesn't justify their actions, but maybe it helps to understand what they're doing. Mm. And I had, I had to use this when, when I first started out with the, the youth authority. Same, same analogy, but different process. I had like five young women on my caseload, all of who had, kill, had killed their children. And I, going out of graduate school, I had no experience with that. I was totally way outside of my, my wheelhouse. And I finally figured out that what I needed to help them understand was that while what they did was monstrous, they themselves were not monsters. So once they understood that, now we could go to the point of saying, okay, let's take a look at what led, led up to you doing what you did, and now let's help you develop your self-confidence and learn about you as a person. Now, I give you that because it's the same process, a little bit less intense yep. with your road rage. Maybe that person is, maybe they are a total idiot, I don't know. But maybe something's going on with them that I just don't know about. Whatever it is... I am not going to allow myself to get into a situation where I make dumb mistakes because of them. So I'm going to then back up. I'm going to let them go and do whatever they, they're going to do. And I'm going to protect me. And I'm not going to get angry because if I get angry enough, my driving ability will deteriorate and I may do something to myself that I later regret. That's how you deal with that. 
Excellent. I think that's that's really <coughs> important to kind of keep in mind that one of the biggest reasons that you want to be able to, you know, handle your emotions is to do it for you and <laughs> not because you want to punish someone else or whatever it is. It's all for you and to make you feel better. So thank you for that. That's exactly correct. So we before we recorded, we were talking a little bit about hate and I was asking you about whether hate is something that we are born with or is that a taught emotion? Because that doesn't seem to me like it's coming naturally to most people. It seems like it's something that we're being taught. I agree. And it's, and it's not one of the primary emotions. Um, you don't have kids hating other kids. It's something that is learned. Now let's take a look at, at the emotion of hate. The emotion of hate, the message is that I perceive you not only as a threat, but as a threat that should be eliminated. A threat that, that should not be allowed to exist. That's the nature of hate. So there's two components to it. One is, you are a threat to me in some form, and you need to be eliminated. Hate is a very, very powerful emotion. I don't think we should get rid of any emotions because if you get rid of one, then you have to you you move into a point of well, if I don't like this one, then I'll get rid of this other one I don't like. But if there were any emotions that could be eliminated without affecting others, hate would be it. The challenge with hate is it mobilizes you to eliminate the threat. And you see this in hate groups. You see this in a lot especially now it's it's really coming on strong. But I also need to explain something, because hate, the word, is overused. You may hear somebody saying, I hate Brussels sprouts. It's not the same thing. And the reason it's not the same thing is because you don't want to go out and eliminate Brussels sprouts. If you hate Brussels sprouts, meaning you really dislike them, or you don't like the flavor or whatever, or spinach, you just don't order it in a restaurant. But it doesn't mobilize you to take significant action. Hate does. And the challenge that we have in today's world is hate often gets combined with anger. That is a very, very dangerous combination, and here's why. Anger prepares you to go to war. Anger says there's a threat, there's a threat out there. I'm bigger than that threat. I'm going to eliminate it because I have the power to do so. Hate says, I don't like you. You need to be eliminated. So if I see you as I hate you, and you should be eliminated, and my anger is motivating me to eliminate you, now we're getting into hate crimes. Those two are a very, very bad combination. So, if your listeners experience hate, I would say to them, first of all, validate the emotion. Now, that may seem counterintuitive. Wait a minute, Ed. You just told me that I shouldn't feel hate, and now you're telling me I need to validate it. Well, here's why. When you experience hate, I want your listeners to say, okay, I'm experiencing hate. Is this an emotion I really want to experience? Is this going to take me down a road that I want to go down to help me be where I want to be? And in many cases, the answer will be no. So let's again look at hate. Is this person that I'm hating, are they a threat? Well, maybe. But more likely than not, they're not a threat. And if they are a threat, what can I do to possibly change the nature of that threat or how I approach it? So, 
you validate the hate, but once you do that, then I'm suggesting back off from the hate. Because hate is not an emotion that's going to take you anywhere you want to go. So validate the hate, and then assess it, and assess the message that it's telling you. Is this something that I need to eliminate? Or is it something that I just need to work around, work with, whatever it happens to be? So understand that hate is a an emotion that energizes you to do harm to another person. And that may not be the road, probably isn't the road you want to go down. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the next one I want to ask you about is obviously what my personal interest and uh, what I'm all about. And that is, we. I never thought I was an emotional eater. I, it turned out that I am eating because I have some emotions that I want to get rid of, which mm-hmm. usually is restlessness, boredom, that sort of thing. So it's not stress eating or when you're upset or sad, like the way that I thought about emotional eaters. So mm-hmm. why do we why do we choose to do, you know, eat donuts or watch Netflix or scroll on Facebook for hours or whatever when we have some sort of emotion that we want to get rid of? Why do we do that? Okay. Well, let me ask you this. What happens when you grab a donut? What pleasure. happens is you <laughs> feel you feel yeah, you feel pleasure. That dopamine gets going. It's like, oh, this is good stuff. And it is. The challenge is that the pleasure, when it's something like eating or it's going on to Netflix, is not being pursued because it's something that you enjoy. And that's the critical difference. Uh, we have a, a, a bakery here, and, and they, they make what are called spud nuts. And the spud nuts are donut holes, if you will, that are filled with custard. I love them. But <laughs> Sounds good. I eat spud nuts. I eat. I, I eat. They are. I eat spud nuts because I enjoy the pleasure of the spud nut. I'm, I don't eat it because I'm trying to avoid something else. And that's the issue that you're addressing when you ask that question. So what you need to look at is what is it that you're trying to avoid when you eat or when you go to Netflix or what happens to be. You, you don't look at it in terms of what is pleasure, pleasurable about the donut or Netflix. In your case, what's the reason, what is, is driving you to get that pleasure because it enables you to avoid something else. Now, once you do that, Now you can make a list of what it is that you're trying to avoid. Whether it's boredom, or it's thinking about something that is painful to you to think about, or whether it's stress. And it could be stress. Let me explain, by the way, what stress is. Stress is where, where expectations do not meet reality. That's what stress is. Now other people define it differently, but I define it that way because it enables me to do something about it. If I'm stressed, I now can look at what my expectations are in the situation and what is the reality of the situation that I'm facing. I now have two choices. I can change my expectations. What do I think should be happening, which takes us back to the shoulds, or what, how am I interpreting what actually is happening? Because I may not be understanding what's going on. Now, 
Boredom is an emotion that also has a message. Boredom says, I'm not being stimulated. There's not enough going on in my environment to keep me awake, keep me going, keep me interested, keep me occupied. If I understand that, now then I can use the message of boredom, which is telling me, you need to get something going in your life. Don't avoid me because as boredom, I'm telling you that there's just too little going on in your life. Now, I should also say when we're looking at boredom, if boredom is, is one of your emotions, there's what's called the Yerkes Dotson Law. Yerkes Dotson is Y R K E S dash D O D S O N. You can look at it, you can Google it, Yerkes Dotson Law. And it is an inverse curve. And what that says is that if there's too little, and it, it, on the upside, this is stimulation. And this, and on the bottom side, this is arousal. So, if you don't have too enough stimulation in your environment, then your energy level is low. Let's take sleep, for example. Sleep, by the way, is right over here. There's nothing going on in your environment, and your body's not energized, and it shouldn't be when you're asleep. Now, when you go to the top of the curve, that is your optimum level of stimulation. It's at that point that you are energized, you're aware, you're alert, and you're active, and you deal with what's facing you. If you go over to the other side of the curve, what happens is there's too much stimulation going on. That's where you get stressed out. So, if you understand that now, boredom says that you're over here on this side of the curve and you need to add more of what's going on in your environment. You need to find something to get interested in. Maybe you need to take a walk. Maybe you need to work on a project. Or maybe you might even need to go to Netflix. That's okay, because now you're not using it to avoid something. You're using it to add something into your environment that wasn't there before. And that's the difference, Pim. Now you are actively acting to add something to your environment that isn't there, as opposed to actively doing something to avoid an emotion you don't want to experience. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, now, what you need to understand is that what... Oh, I'm saying what everything I'm telling you is doable, but it isn't easy. And that's the challenge that maybe your clients will face. Well, wait a minute, you know, what you're telling me takes work. Well, yeah, it does. <laughs> and it takes practice. It's like anything. Think about when you learn to ride a bike, or if you're developing a new skill, or think about when you first started whatever job you're currently in, and this is how you explain it to your clients, by the way. Think about your, your job. Are you good at what you do? And they'll probably say, well, yeah, I'm very good at what I do. Okay. Were you always good at what you do? No. When you started out, you sucked. You were terrible at it. You were what we call consciously incompetent. You knew that you didn't know anything. Now, the longer you were on your job and continued to do what you did, you went from consciously incompetent to consciously competent. Now you know what you're doing. And if you're really good at what you do, you go to the final stage, which is unconsciously competent. Meaning now, you can do things intuitively. You can take shortcuts. 
but that's practice and it takes time. And it's the same thing with the skills you're trying to tell your clients. When they start out, they're not doing it, which is why they're having problems with whatever issue they're facing. So if they practice what you're telling them, they will get better at it. They just need to stay with it. They need to anticipate. Remember we talked about that being the flip side of anxiety, another face. They need to anticipate that the longer they stay with it, the better they will get, and the better they get, the better they will be able to deal with the issues that face them going forward. That's so brilliant. And I want you to really, (laughs) everyone who's listening, I want you to really hear this because somehow we feel like some sort of entitlement that we should be able to control our emotions straight away and it doesn't work. It takes a lot of work. It doesn't work. Take that on board because that's, that's the key. Most people want to give up after one or two tries. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Right. So I'm going to throw you now a there, last there one. Is there yeah, go on again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, go on. Oh, I was, I was, I was going to say very quickly. Yeah. Okay, there is, there is one area where you exercise control. And this is a skill that your, your clients need to learn. As soon as they experience the emotion, they need to then train themselves to do two things. One is to take a deep breath, which lowers their energy level. And two is to take a step back, which then puts some distance, psych- physical distance, between them and the threat. If they practice that now, they set themselves up for the third part of the emotion cycle, which is to make an assessment. Take a deep breath, which then relaxes them, and take a step back, which gives them distance. And they can practice that with any emotion, even yeah. if it's happiness. And you may say, why would I step back from happiness? You don't have to, but you're learning a new skill. Take a step back and take a deep breath. Okay, so just jumping back to what we were talking or what you were talking about earlier. So no matter what the emotion is, is where we want to learn how to handle these emotions and what to do about them. We just want to take a deep breath, take a step back and kind of assess what's going on. Yes. Yes. So I think that's the big take-home message. Str- Simple, but hard to do. <laughs> it is. It, it is. And then you're going to strategically deploy that emotion. And very quickly, what that means is you're going to take that emotion and you're going to use it to help you better interact with your environment. Look at the message. Look at the Validate the message of whether it, it's actual or not. And then make a decision on what you're going to do with it. Make a plan and carry it out. Now your emotions become your friend rather than the pain in the ass that they started out before we had this discussion. (laughs) Yes. Yep. That's a learning curve. I mean, I know how to how to do this but i have to actively do it every single time that's why i still think they're a pain in the ass maybe one day i'll get to it and just do this automatically i'm not quite there yet (laughs) it might take a few years and 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 i'm not i'm not there yet either pim i still get angry (laughs) and i still have to actively remind myself to use my emotions as tools I still get get anxious and and I have to remind myself to use that emotions as a tool. So even though I know this stuff and I'm an expert at it, I'm still struggling with it and it's still a work in progress. I'm better at it than I was. I'm better at it than most because I know what I'm doing, but I still have to work at it. Yeah, we probably always have to do that to some That should encourage your list. That should, (laughs) really, that should encourage your listeners. Yeah. 
for sure. So do you, before we're wrapping this up, do you have any final words that you want to share with the audience? Any tips, tricks, whatever? I do. Good. I do. Shoot. I, I want to point out two things. I have two books. One is yes. Emotions as Tools. That's my first book. The other is Beyond Anger Management. Master your ang- your anger as a strategic tool. Those are on Amazon. I also want to point them to my blog, which is the emotionsdoctor.com. T H E E M O T I O N S D O C T O R dot com. I have over 200 posts on all the different emotions. Everything we talked about today is on that blog. And I've provided an index in the upper left-hand corner of the home page. When you click on the index, it will take you to a PDF. And it will give you access by category to all of my posts. So let's say you're interested in anger. You click on the anger category. Then there's a drop-down which will give you access to all of my posts click on the post you want and it'll take you directly to that post so you can read it there is a ton of information there so i suggest that your listeners viewers go to my blog go to the index and educate themselves on whatever emotion it is that they find problematic the books are very good i recommend and they're still relevant i recommend you take a look at my books as well so you have resources my books, the blog, you can learn about your emotions, you can learn about why you have them, and how to strategically deploy them. So educate yourself, and then listen to Pim, who's going to teach you how to do it. Yes, so do you work with people at all, or do you mostly just do blogging and have your books, etc.? I am retired. I spent 32 years working yeah. with young women in the Youth Authority and, and with staff. So now I go on podcasts to educate people, and I do my blog, but I don't do anything actively in terms of a private practice. I'd rather just be retired, and if I took on extra work, my wife then would have something to say about that. Yes. <laughs> she, she, she likes having me emotions. home. <laughs> She would have to handle her emotions. Yes, yeah. that's exactly correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so now I I I write and I and I blog and I do podcasts. Perfect. Okay. So if you want more of Ed, go get his books. I'm certainly going to do that because I want to learn more about the topic and I think you have explained everything brilliantly. I think it's very easy to understand a lot of the time when I talk to other people that practice these things. It can sound a little bit complicated, much more complicated than I'm teaching mm-hmm. it, but you, your way is actually really simple. So uh, if you're interested in this topic, I think yeah, those books are going to be great. So thank you so much for well, sharing you. your wisdom and your knowledge. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. And the more people I can get access to and help them understand emotions, the happier I am. Because in retirement, that's my goal. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the LCAL podcast. If you like the show and you want to support the show, you can do so by sharing it with anyone who you think may benefit from listening to it. Or if you're so inclined, you can make a donation over at PayPal or at Patreon, and you will find the links in the description. Have an awesome day.